Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been a long year with no shortage of news. As it finally draws to a close, we thought we'd speak to one of our colleagues at The Times, who's immersed in the news every day, but has to find new ways of looking at it. Someone put it that it's assassination without the blood, which (laughs) seems to be a pretty good way of doing it when you're going for a target, say a politician, in a particular way. Peter Brooks has been the cartoonist for The Times for almost 30 years now. He tells us about some of his favourite cartoons and why drawing them is almost therapeutic at the end of 2020. You have to put your own anger, humour, whatever it is you're feeling at the time, scorn, derision, any of these (laughs) words you want to apply to the way you feel about an awful lot, unfortunately, of what politicians do. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... A Career in Ink with Peter Brooks. Every day in The Times, in prime position on the comment pages, you'll find a colourful reimagining of the day's news, which, for much of the past 30 years, has been produced by one man. My name is Peter Brooks. I'm a political cartoonist on The Times newspaper, and I do four days a week for the paper, which at my age is... Enough. (laughs) I caught up with Peter a few weeks ago to discuss his work, his methods, and to take us through some of his favourite cartoons from a long and distinguished career. We started with one from the not-so-distant past. Boris Johnson, the former mayor of London, was front and centre of the Leave campaign and appeared a shoo-in as the man to oversee Britain's exit from the European Union. But as the minutes ticked down to the close of nominations, Johnson suddenly pulled out of the contest to be Prime Minister. The image from 2016 shows Michael Gove knifing Boris Johnson, who was then a Tory leadership candidate, in the back. But the knife passes through Johnson and impales Gove too. Michael Gove was running Boris Johnson's campaign back then, but he turned against him temporarily putting an end to Johnson's bid for power. But I must tell you, my friends, you who have waited faithfully for the punchline of this speech, that having consulted colleagues and in view of the circumstances in Parliament, I have concluded that person cannot be me. It soon became apparent that Michael Gove had leadership ambitions of his own. 
We need someone who believes in the British people's verdict that they delivered last week. We need someone who can appeal to and unite individuals who argued that we should leave and who also believed that we should remain in the European Union. But Gove's own campaign soon faltered and Theresa May was declared the new leader of the Conservative Party and the new Prime Minister. In effect, what he'd done was stab Boris in the back, but the blade had gone right through Boris and stabbed him in the front. It's one of those ideas that it happened first thing in the morning and all events happened from that. And the political energy that was released by this was so great. It was such a a monumental thing politically. And I was very fortunate in being able to come up with that idea pretty quickly. I think it's one of my better ideas. (laughs) It sums up a a long sequence of shocking events just so dramatically. I mean, the facial expressions are amazing. (laughs) You can only see the back of Boris Johnson's head, but that's very distinctive anyway. With Michael Gove, it's so clearly him. I mean, it's... (laughs) Are there people who are very easy to draw and are there others who you struggle with? Well, he's a gift. I mean, Gove is a gift. One of the gifts he has given cartoonists is you can draw him in a whole number of different guises. I've drawn him as the front of an electric car. I've drawn him (laughs) as uh, Scotch Egg two or three weeks ago. The thing about him is he's not a pompous man at all. And I know him a little bit because he used to work at the Times. He was extremely well-mannered to absolutely everybody. The politest man I think I've ever come across. Is it hard to draw somebody you know? No. (laughs) (laughs) Not not if they're a Tory right-winger. Not at all, no. And I know (laughs) Boris Johnson a bit because I used to work for him on The Spectator doing covers. But uh, he's the easiest person in the world to mock as is Gove. Oh, no, no, no. Not when they're ruinous to the country like this. Brexit, and now mishandling of COVID. Nope, no, I wouldn't say that at all. So tell us a bit more about your long history of doing cartoons. I mean, how long have you been the Times cartoonist? Since 1992, I've been doing a cartoon five days a week, which I, a year or so ago, reduced down to four days a week because I'm getting a bit older now and the pressure was getting to me which will continue, I've no doubt. I'm getting on for 80, and I can't imagine myself going on that much longer without having to reduce the number from four down to fewer. Peter's career at the Times started in the late 70s when he did illustrations to accompany articles by some of the newspaper's leading writers, but that had its limitations. Although I enjoyed doing that to a degree, and I did that for quite a while, it gradually became apparent to me that it was not exactly the most meaningful task in the world to just add a visual interpretation of somebody else's idea, which is what you were doing. Peter gradually plucked up the courage to do a daily cartoon for the newspaper, something he's been doing for almost 30 years now. It's what I got into, what I came to think of as a huge, a huge privilege, basically, to sound off, have your own opinion in the paper, in drawn form, in my case. I just have never been happier working, basically. And that transition from illustrating other people's articles to being a cartoonist, I mean, explain what that's like. It's about putting your own opinion into the paper. I mean, it is, it, 
in some ways, it is, I suppose, like having a column. The only difference is I have to do it in a single hit, whereas with a columnist, they can have shades of grey. You have to say what you want to say with immediacy. Others don't. There are some cartoonists who put uh, everything but the kitchen sink into what they do. I've got to do a single idea that has some resonance, you hope, and draw it well enough to occupy half a page. But thankfully, I've always loved coming up with ideas. That is easily translated into producing a cartoon. You have to put your own anger, humour, whatever it is you're feeling at the time, scorn, derision, any of these (laughs) words you want to apply to the way you feel about an awful lot, unfortunately, of what politicians do. What I also think about it, which I'm always grateful for, is that, and this is why I don't really want to stop, (laughs) is that it's an education. Even when he's 77, it's an education. I mean, if I stopped, I would probably, I don't know, just curl up and die. You know, you'd read and you'd do other things, but I don't do that many other things, frankly. But it's to do with being aware of the world and interesting yourself in what's going on, and in my case, politically. Peter's day starts at 6.30am when he's woken by the radio. He spends the morning listening to the news before walking up to his home studio and calling in to the Times Morning News Conference, which helps him to clarify the ideas that he wants to focus on for the next day's cartoon. Now, what keeps me going in many ways is that it's never the same two days running, except this year has been different. I've got to have an idea in my head about two o'clock, something like that. If I haven't got myself sorted in my head by two, the latest three, then I'm running a little bit late, probably a little bit scared as well. The way I work is I'm lucky in the sense that I get a picture of what it has to be pretty early on in the process in my head. Um, I don't have to draw it out to know what it's going to be yet although that changes things, whether you find it's manageable to draw what came up in your head or or whether you have the time to do it, all those things. So I've got to that stage, to three o'clock, say, and then it's a question of chatting over with the editor of my page, Mike Smith, who is great to talk to in terms of sorting out an idea, a subject. He's got, in a sense, a cartoonist brain, and it annoys me sometimes when I think that if he could draw... He'd probably be a lot better than me. and (laughs) (laughs) We we do have a good session on most days when the time allows, just trying to hammer out an idea. One thought will engender another and so on and so on. It's a a to and fro thing. And sometimes I'll present him with an idea that he doesn't outright reject, but I always know when it's not really... Hasn't quite hit the mark. It hasn't quite (laughs) hit the mark. And when you're drawing the images... Are you deliberately going for a laugh? Is it the message? What is it you're trying to convey? Being a political cartoonist, it's much harder for a lot of people and readers, say, to identify with than 
being a, say, pocket cartoonist on the front of the paper. Uh, we don't currently have one, but other newspapers do, like Matt on the Telegraph, yes. that are always funny. And that's the intention, is that that little square has to raise a laugh, otherwise it hasn't worked for them. But a political cartoon can be a number of things, in the sense that someone put it that it's assassination without the blood, which seems to be a pretty good way of doing it when you're going for a target, say a politician, in a particular way, has done something that you disapprove heartily of and you want to make that point. Yeah, assassination without the blood is pretty good. But also one of our great predecessors, Sir David Lowe, probably one of the greatest cartoonists this country's ever produced, he said that your purpose is to be the permanent opposition. So that, in other words, it doesn't matter who's in power, you give them a bloody good kicking if they deserve it. What has it been like for you doing daily cartoons during the pandemic when, certainly for the rest of us, it has seemed like the world is a bit samey? That is very, very true. I found this year more difficult than most, really, frankly. Two years ago, and up until the beginning of this year, I always thought of myself more or less, to my chagrin, as a single-issue cartoonist for Brexit. I mean, not a cartoonist for Brexit. I was a Remainer, a hard and fast Remainer. But it seemed to me that all I ever was doing was cartoons about bloody Brexit. And then this came along, February, March, with such a force. And I've been a a single-issue cartoonist for the pandemic ever since, hardly ever being able to do any other subject, which has been to my great regret. And I say, I haven't been able to do it. Well, people say, well, why don't you do something about, it's plenty going on in Germany, it's plenty going on in the Yemen or whatever. But the point about doing cartoons is you have to hit the public consciousness and there's a limit to what you're aware that readers, you know, can take in that way. And I'm quite conscious of that. Apart from my own dislike of repeating myself, really. But on the other hand, um, it's such a huge, huge event during the year that Mm. that's what you have to do. We'll have more from Peter in just a moment. But if you want to see more of Peter's cartoons, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Times cartoonist Peter Brooks is taking us on a tour of some of the most memorable cartoons he's drawn during his 28-year career. The next one was the source of some controversy when it was published in 2009. The image is of the Pope before last, Pope Benedict, and he is sitting in his papal throne with a condom on his head. The condom takes the place and the shape of the Pope's mitre and it has a pin stuck in it. The image itself came about quite naturally as far as I was concerned. Naturally in the sense that Pope Benedict made an edict, or whatever popes call them, before he went on tour to Africa in 2009. Pope Benedict says condoms aren't the answer for Africa's fight against AIDS. The pontiff made the comment as he left Rome for Cameroon. The continent has been plagued by HIV-AIDS, and many governments have been encouraging condom use as a way to fight the spread of the disease. Well, that made me so angry when the Mm. evidence is obviously otherwise. And I know, not being a Catholic, I don't have that particular belief anyway. So I just wanted to put an image to my anger, basically. Now, I didn't for one moment think I was going to get the reaction I did. And what was the reaction? How did it go down? It caused a huge uh, ruckus, basically. It's strange because on the same day that I drew my cartoon, a French cartoonist, Plantu, in Le Monde, also drew a cartoon. Not the same idea. But both cartoons went to the very top at the Vatican in terms of being discussed and reviled. Oh. And they were absolutely incandescent about it and were floated down via the Archbishop of Westminster, who's the head of the Catholic Church in England. The cartoon prompted a letter to the Times from Cardinal Cormac Murphy O'Connor, the Archbishop of Westminster and leader of the Roman Catholic Church in England and Wales. Sir, I was appalled at the tasteless cartoon depicting Pope Benedict XVI in yesterday's Times. No newspaper should show such disrespect to a person who is held in high esteem by a large proportion of Christians in the world. To pillory the Pope in this way is totally unacceptable. How did that feel for you? I mean, in some ways, was it flattering to think that it had been noticed and it had had an effect at such a high level? 
Who is it that you're thinking of when you're drawing them? Are you drawing them for the people you're portraying? Do you want them to, to sit up and take notice or is it for the wider audience? It's both, really, I mm. suppose. There's no point in just talking to the wall. <laughs> you hope that someone takes notice. And I suppose when you're drawing politicians, for example, which is a different case in point, what you're doing is probably not having great effect on them, but you may have an effect upon the people who vote for them. And it's like having a conversation, an argument, an exchange of views and things that make you angry. You want to draw. But in this particular instance, this cartoon, Pope Benedict, it happened not that long after the famous Danish cartoons incident where cartoonists were invited on a Danish newspaper yes. to draw Mohammed, just, if you like, for the hell of it. There wasn't a specific reason, just to see how many people they could upset and to see what reaction they got. Well, a lot of people thought I was doing the same, and they wanted to draw a parallel between the Danish cartoons and what I was doing. No parallel at all. I didn't even think of them. So it's interesting. Um, what you do quite often doesn't necessarily provoke the reaction you think it's going to do, if you think it's going to provoke anything at all. Is it quite satisfying to get a reaction? Oh, yeah. I'd rather get a reaction than not. But on the other hand, I don't go out of the way just to say to myself, come on, why don't you do something today that's going to cause a stink? doesn't interest me doing that. What you hope is that what you do is hard-hitting sometimes, funny sometimes. Political cartoons have been back in the news again this year. 14 people were sent to prison for the attack on the Charlie Hebdo magazine in Paris five years ago that left 17 people dead. Ahead of the trial, the Charlie Hebdo magazine republished the cartoons of Mohammed that had provoked the attack in 2015. When a teacher showed his class the images, he became the target of an online campaign and was beheaded just weeks later. I asked Peter what he made of those cartoons. They're two separate things, but in essence, I suppose, the similarity is it's an attempt to provoke just for provocation's sake, which I don't agree with. But more than that, in a sense, I wouldn't draw cartoons which were abusive of black people, Jewish people. So why would I do it about Muslims, many of whom actually are in my own family, my sister-in-law and all her family, which is quite extensive, are Muslim. So I'm not in the business of trying to offend racial minorities. It just doesn't appeal to me. You worry about offending some people. Are others fair game? Do you ever set out to offend, or is that just an accidental byproduct? <laughs> I don't worry about offending some people in the sense that I don't go out to offend certain people. You could say, theoretically, that cartoons should be able to offend anyone you like. You should be able to draw exactly what you like. And if it offends people, too bad. Well, I agree with that, say, you know, 90% of the time. But there's a, a percentage, like I just mentioned, where I don't want to be racially abusive. I mean, nobody does. Well, <laughs> Some people, unfortunately, do, but I don't. And therefore, I don't 
do cartoons against racial minorities, and why should I? But politicians generally, and politics as we know it, is a different case. The next cartoon that Peter chose was sketched after one of the worst tragedies in recent history, when a fire ripped through a tower block in West London, killing 72 residents. Good afternoon from West London, where the Queen and Prince William have been visiting people affected by the terrible fire that engulfed Grenfell Tower three days ago. People might say that you can't really get a cartoon out of Grenfell, but then you draw cartoons about all sorts of horrendous events. And I did a couple, or one, I think, before this one, that was showing the high-rise buildings in the area as matchboxes. You know, I hope the idea of that is obvious. But this one I drew because Theresa May had come in for a lot of opprobrium for not empathising with Grenfell survivors. She went down to Grenfell the day after and she talked to all the support staff, the firemen, police, etc. But she didn't talk to any residents. And that seemed to me, and to an awful lot of people, a complete neglect of a Prime Minister's duty and what a Prime Minister would normally do. And so when the Queen visited a day or so later, she was walking down the line in my picture, which I got from a photograph because she actually did this, of firefighters and police. And she comes to this person at the end, who I draw as Theresa May. So the Queen is looking at her and saying, and what do you do? In the same way as she's been saying to all these other people, and obviously Theresa May has done absolutely nothing at all. And so it's a complete stranger in this context. I mean, it works really well because that was very much the public mood at the time. Is that what you're trying to do, capture the anger that people are feeling and turn it into an image? Not always. It coincides quite a lot. And if something has created such a huge stir, you want to do that. But then there are going to be instances where the public, to your mind, is totally wrong. You follow the public mood or capture it, as you say, on those occasions which you feel you're along with them and just want to express that. It doesn't always happen, no. And take us on to the last image. This is a more recent one. A sad event, yes. and it was a sad event, when Barbara Windsor died, provoked in my mind an image, and it was carried over almost news media, of that shot from Carry On Camping, where, where, where her bra comes flying off. And it was an opportunity to take Boris Johnson and put him in the Barbara Windsor persona and dress him up or undress him up in this particular case with his Union Jack bra flying off. And the title of the poster that I was mimicking was not Carry On Camping, but Carry On No Dealing, because that's when the talks about a trade deal were just going on and on and on endlessly. The likelihood of a post-Brexit trade deal is deeply uncertain tonight, with both Boris Johnson and the President of the European Commission speaking in gloomy terms about the chances of success. So I had this subsidiary caption at the top, another blonde's biggest boobs, 
like the carry-on posters, you always had these other people like Kenneth Williams and Bernard Breslau and these other actors in the film looking up at Barbara Windsor or whoever it was and looking out of a tent. Um, So I was able to draw the cabinet like that or looking up at Boris Johnson. And it's lovely because you can so clearly see who they are. You know, you've got Jacob Rees-Mogg in the background. You can always tell because he's he's wearing a top hat. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does wear a top hat rather a lot in my, in my drawings. Impressionists sometimes say they have favourites because they feel like they've really got a person. They can do an impression of them very, very well. And there are others they dread doing. Do you have any favourites at the moment who you just think you can draw perfectly? And who's difficult? Well, Rees-Mogg is just a gift. You can't go wrong with Rees Mogg, nor can you really go wrong with Michael Gove, really, or Johnson. I always show Johnson with his hair down over his eyes. You can't see his eyes ever, and he's always a mess. That sort of sums him up to me, no vision and a complete mess. But, you know, I uh, used to like drawing Trump, but that had its own problems, had real problems drawing Trump. He was his own satire in a way. You couldn't outdo what stupidity he came up with. You couldn't make him more ridiculous than he made himself. So in the end, it was self-defeating. And also, it became a little bit too obvious, if you see what I mean. Not so much kicking a man when he's down. I don't mind doing that with him at all. An appalling, appalling excrescence on the face of the political world. But it became a little bit too obvious, a little bit too easy. Oh, here's another Trump one. But on the other hand, it's one of those, if you like, cliches that cartoonists have to put up with, and that is that you sometimes wish for somebody to leave the face of the earth very, very quickly in political terms, (laughs) but you then wonder what on earth you're going to do without them. (laughs) The loss is as good as the gain. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Times cartoonist Peter Brooks. You can see more of Peter's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. You can see all the cartoons discussed today on the Times Twitter account. If you're not on Twitter, just search for twitter.com forward slash the Times. If you can, please do leave us a review. It feels like a lifetime ago now, but we only launched in March, so if you leave a review or rate the podcast, it'll just help others to find us. And if you'd like to get in touch with any thoughts on the podcast or any stories that you'd like us to cover, then please do drop us an email at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening to us in 2020. We'll be back on Monday, so do join us if you can. And from all of us here at Stories of Our Times, Happy New Year. It's got to be a hell of a lot better than this one. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.